नमस्ते वेलकम टू द फेस्टिवल ऑफ भारत आई एम योर होस्ट कमल माड़ी शेट्टी एंड योर ट्यून इन टू सीजन फोर ऑफ द फेस्टिवल ऑफ भारत टूडे वी हैव विथ आस वन ऑफ द पायनियर्स ऑफ वुमेन हेल्थ मूवमेंट इन इंडिया सीनू जोसेफ जी सीनू जी इज एन ऑथर एंड एजुकेशनलिस्ट अटेडिक स्पीकर एंड को फाउंडर एंड मैनेजिंग ट्रस्टी ऑफ माइक्री स्पीक्स which is a grassroots development organization based in uh, Karnataka with a special focus on women's health across India. Sinoji's work on women's health uh, related topics has been unique in its efforts of unearthing the ancient science and native practices and bringing forth a Bharatiya perspective on topics related to women. She has authored several books including Women and Savarimala the science behind restrictions as well as her most recent book Ritu Vidya and both of which we are going to discuss today it is my pleasure to welcome sinu ji today at the festival of bharat namaste sinu ji and welcome to the festival of bharat namaste kamal ji namaste to everyone watching this thank you for having me back and it's a pleasure to be here thank you so much for joining us sinu ji uh, first of all uh, how are you sinu ji and uh, what are you up to these days what are the some of the projects and activities you are involved in So uh, Kamal ji it's been uh, about a decade long work on the subject of uh, menstruation and uh, with my last book Ritu Vidya I'm kind of wrapping up and exiting from the space itself uh, <laughs> when I started working in the social space you know I always thought that 10 years is a good time to change uh, if there is some problem in the issue that you're really looking at 10 years is the time to bring about that transformation and uh, i think i have uh, done my time and i'm planning my exit now so ritu uh, vidya has been received well we also working to make it into an online course and have some um, study groups and reading sessions with people so i'm going to now uh, put it out there for everyone to take it forward and then exit so that's what i'm working on now absolutely um uh, sinuji and we look forward to um, more of your work and uh, the courses as well and we will be talking about that uh, in in the course of this uh, conversation as well um sinuji my first question to you uh, is reflective of our times and uh, i want to ask you about bharat and sanatan dharma uh, what makes them so special and uh, how are bharat uh, and dharma uh, you know different from other world views out there in the world so uh, kamal ji i will tell you what i know of it uh, it may not be everything but it's what i know and it's what i have known through my experience of working on ground see what we refer to as sanatana dharma is a philosophy sanatana literally means eternal and uh, dharma is the upholding of something so sanatana dharma is the upholding of that which is the eternal universal truth and uh, unlike other systems it did not arise in response to a certain social situation as such so it is not specific to a particular people or a race or a region but it's completely universal and that means that it holds true across time across ages across race and ethnicity and the reason why it is like that is because the the ideas the thought processes and the philosophies that we study in the form of texts which are part of sanatana dharma have been put in place by the rishis who employed techniques that would go beyond the obvious problems of the mind 
So today we, we talk about unbiased research, but it right from the word go, right from those who fund the research, it is completely biased and there is already a pre-decided outcome which you are told to work towards getting. But the ideas and the philosophies in Sanatana Dharma were completely unbiased because the rishis through practices of yoga were able to go into states from which their mind was at a complete rest and at a super conscious level, what we call the samadhi. And from there, they gained the knowledge of things that are true across time. So that's that's what I understand of it. And that's why it's applicable to everyone across time and space and age. Now comes the part about Bharat itself. What is so different and what's so great about it? So usually when we talk about higher reality and the higher philosophies, it's a set of people, you know, scholars, pundits, who we think they are the only ones who know and the masses are completely cut off from it. That is not the case in Bharat. Every idea which was considered as the greatest philosophy, as the means of moksha, that idea was simplified and weaved into what we call cultural practices and tradition. And that's the place where most of us aren't looking because we think that's just about faith. But through my work, my first introduction to Indian knowledge systems was honestly not from books. It was from the practices of the rural women. See, in Bharat, women have, since time immemorial, been the keepers of the culture. And no one asked them to do this. They are never recognized for this. We recognize freedom fighters. We recognize uh, leaders in history. But you never recognize the average Indian woman who has held on to these practices and taught this to the future generations. So when I would come across practices pertaining to menstruation, you know, very specific diet, a very specific regime and lifestyle, I would wonder from where are they learning these things? Because these were women who had never known any of the texts that we talk of, like Ayurveda or Tantra. They've never heard of these things. And then there are so many rituals pertaining to menarche. And later, when I studied the texts, I was so stunned because everything that the women did was exactly as was mentioned in the Ayurveda texts pertaining to Rajaswala Paricharya. So... What we know as the highest reality was passed down to the very last man, actually woman in this case, not through this thing of pundit-wise scholarly learning, which is what we often misunderstand about this culture, but as part of day-to-day life itself. So every aspect of a woman's life, especially in rural India, reflects those higher teachings. They are not merely symbolic. It's not just faith. And that's how Bharat has survived for so many years. The women have played a very, very important role in that. And that's the the part about it that I find stunningly beautiful and different from many, many other cultures. Thank you so much, Inuji. You have put it so beautifully. Uh, and I think uh, particularly the role of women in actually uh, preserving our cultural heritage and handing it down from one generation to another. I think it is a story of inspiration that uh, all of us have to acknowledge and imbibe and uh, take inspiration from. Uh, thank you uh, for sharing those insights with us. Uh, Sinuji, uh, you're an authority on menstrual sciences and health. You've written a book uh, recently, Rutu Vidya, that focuses on this subject. 
uh, you're also someone who has taken several sessions for young girls across india uh, and i as a male uh, i was wondering if you've had a chance to speak with young boys and men as well about this subject uh, because we often hear about the need for uh, beat menstruation or several other uh, you know related uh, women related uh, topics uh, that have to be understood by males as well uh, so i wanted to ask you if you've had a chance to uh, interact with young boys and how did you find them thinking about the, these subjects uh, kamal ji that's such an interesting question and it's not always that i'm interviewed by a young man so i'm so grateful that uh, you're the one i'm having this conversation with this and that you can relate to what i'm about to tell you so yes and no the answer is yes and no um yes because in the early stages of my work on menstruation a lot of people obviously said just like you're doing classes for girls why don't you consider doing classes for boys but then uh we tried that you know we had a male facilitator go into and try to talk to boys in a government school in bangalore but what we understood there was that that is the age where young boys their entire brain and their body is literally marinated in testosterone and they act and they think they don't think much but they act from that space of testosterone based sexual aggression and it was very difficult to have a mature conversation with them you know, just to give you a few examples of this but there were government schools that would call us and say that they just don't know how to handle the boys so there were boys in this particular government school who when the girls would walk in would take their notebooks tear it and throw it to the fan in the ceiling you know so when the girls would just sit in a corner and cry and there was another school where the teachers were the situation went so out of hand that after school hours the boys got together and paid money and got a professional woman and they were experimenting with her in the classroom so these are the kind of extreme cases of sexual aggression that we have witnessed among adolescent boys and the current methods of both the formal education as well as the informal system of ngos going there and doing moral education is an utter failure everybody knows this but we don't know what to do differently so one of the things early on i had figured was that perhaps we should exhaust the boys right at the beginning of the day by engaging them in sports and physical activity you know so uh, some of the schools actually did that and the results were better because they would just put the boys through extensive physical exercise right up front so they would be too tired to bother everyone else in class the rest of the day but that's just a distraction technique really and uh, later on the question was always in my mind as to how did bharat originally teach boys how did they teach them how to deal with this intense um, and natural urge of uh, sexuality arising out of testosterone what did they do and that's when the yoga sutras of patanjali uh, they talk about the ashtanga yoga and this is not your yoga as in, in terms of doing some you know 20 different asanas this is about yam niyam then comes asana pranayam and these things when taught in a methodical fashion and applied were techniques to help young boys who were studying in a gurukul and who were practicing brahmacharya to gain a sort of a control over the mind basically these practices taught them restraining how to restrain your mind uh, if you think about it every activity criminal or otherwise and especially sexual crimes they originate first in the mind 
the person plays it out several times in the mind and only then acts on it. So if we have to work on preventing problems, the first place to address is in fact the mind. And because I have been working with schools, I have known this all along, but the rest of everybody else watching this and the rest of the nation, we suddenly wake up only when there's a sexual crime that has come into the limelight. So there is a Nirbhaya case and suddenly everyone's talking about how do you teach the boys? What do you teach the boys? How do you go about teaching the boys? So solutions are from moral education to, you know, enforcing that they should respect women. And of course, there is the whole thing of punishment being as a deterrent, as inducing fear. And everybody knows that these things just don't solve the problem in terms of preventing it. It's after something happens, you can try and address it. How do you really prevent it? So the Indian sciences, the yoga sutras and what Manu has given is the solution to that of how at a very early age, boys have to be taught to restrain their mind. Forget menstruation, Kamalji. You cannot talk to them about anything because they don't even sit down to have a conversation, <laughs> right? So how do you just get them to become still, become steady so they can even receive what you're saying? So because of these challenges, I never really attempted beyond a point to engage boys in these conversations. And also, I never did co-ed sessions because for girls, the subject of menstruation often leads to talks about sexual abuse or they ask about rape. Sometimes there are cases and then we have to take them through the police and the entire system. So it's very important to create a mature and safe environment for the girls to talk about this. And that simply does not happen when you have immature boys sitting in the same classroom making jokes and, you know, giggling the whole time. That does not work. So I really never encouraged that. Now, I have seen a theory. I have rather read a theory of how Bharat may have handled this. But that just seemed, you know, too ideal. And I wondered, can it really happen in today's time? How do we go about teaching our boys? Because honestly, uh, problem is not with girls. All those statistics which say girls are dropping out of school because of menstruation, it's all actually nonsense. There is a greater problem with boys who are enrolled in the school registry but never turn up for classes. Uh, they just bunk class and they go out there and we, we had students who showed us a USB stick that had a pornographic film. They were watching it outside class. This is what's happening with our boys and that's the real problem. Because these are the very boys who will grow up to be adults who have completely no control of their mind and then it's too late to do something. So how do you intervene and what do you do about it? So uh, early this month, I had an opportunity to visit a very special Gurukul. And this is the uh, Gautirtha Vidyapit in Ahmedabad in Gujarat. And so started about eight years ago and one of the uh, people whose vision, who's part of this whole ideation is uh, Gopal Sutaryaji. Uh, he's very well known for his incredible work of running one of Bharat's best Goshalas uh, in Ahmedabad. And this particular Gurukul and the way of teaching was a Go Adharit Shiksha, uh, which in itself is unique and I had never heard of. And I have seen other Gurukuls in Bangalore, which are Gurukuls really only in name, but they don't really follow those practices. But I was invited here as a guest for something else, just to see the Gurukul. And very spontaneously, they called children. There were about, I think, 40 boys and about 15 girls. The teachers were there and they just told me, talk about Rutu Vidya. 
And this was the first time, of course, that even teachers are open to the idea of boys and girls sitting together for a session on menstruation. And I just went with the flow because there was something about that space which was so different. You see, these children are taught not just about history, not just about Vedic chanting or mantras. They not only do go seva and begin their day with the Gomata Kyarti, but very importantly for my purpose, they already knew the basics of Ayurveda, of the entire science of chakras. There were 14-year-old boys who could do a Nadi Pariksha, which is a very advanced thing in Ayurveda. Uh, not many Vaidyas also can get it that right. So there were 14-year-old boys who could do Nadi Pariksha. There were boys of that same group who could look at a person and determine which of their chakras are not having enough prana and what is to be done about that. So that was the level at which these students were. And we started talking about menstruation and it was the most incredibly in-depth, mature conversation I had, not just with boys, but in a co-educational setup. Because if I had to explain to them the reason for our practices, usually I spend so much time in explaining the science of Ayurveda, what is prana, what is panchaprana, but here were children who already knew it. So not only did they, it was just so much easier to do it, but they took my own learning to a different level because of the incredible questions they asked. I will just tell you two questions that they asked, one by the boys and one by the girls. So when I spoke about Rutu Vidya being the science of understanding how women's menstrual cycles connect with the larger cycles of nature, there was a young boy who asked, in that case, if Mother Earth goes through problems like a tsunami or an earthquake, will it not reflect in the cycles of women? You know, that was incredible. I had never thought of it like that. And then there was a young girl who asked, well, you say that as per Ayurveda, menstruation is a process of detox for women. It helps to cleanse out the arm, the ex excess buildup of toxins. But if this happens for us girls and we are lucky because of it, what about the poor boys? <laughs> what is the equivalent of menstruation that they should do? Uh, you see this, Kamalji, this thing of how the boys were asking such meaningful questions to know about uh, women and their connect to Mother Earth and the girls were asking questions of such concern about how does the boys uh, and their physio physiology uh, work in comparison to menstruation. Uh, me and everyone present, we were just absolutely stunned that it is possible to have such a mature conversation with young boys and young girls and this was possible because of the Gurukul setup. You know, we always talk about in terms of how glorious our past was. We look back and say, oh, our history was so beautiful and we have to get our history right in the textbooks. But tell me, do we just want to keep looking back and say, oh, how wonderful? Or do we want to recreate that wonder? And you can only recreate that when you reintroduce our sciences. So teaching children Ayurveda, teaching children Tantra, teaching children yogic sciences, not just a few asanas, but young, niyam, brahmacharya, in a gurukul setup, that whole thing and that visit, it just gave me like a vision of what Bharat was like. 
and it filled me with so much joy and i thought okay if i die this moment it's all right because i know this is possible we can teach our children like this and someone is doing this so everything that i have wanted to do this is a perfect way in which it is happening so that was what i saw and i learned about how we can talk to boys about this subject kamalji that's very very fascinating uh, sinuji and it's very heartening to know that uh, this is happening happening uh, at least in some places and i think it goes to show how much how important uh, you know our traditional our indic knowledge systems are and the importance and the urgency with which we have to uh, bring them back into practice um, and i was actually wondering what the answers of those questions were if you could <laughs> tell us well so then you have to first kamal ji go through that whole study of <laughs> of the indigenous sciences because honestly uh so i was in gujarat to record a 20 hour lecture series of my course through the center for indic studies so for to teach adults about this it requires a minimum of 20 hours of deep immersion to have this basic conversation but these children they were able to go to such levels that they could question me and make me think you know so we we will keep that answer after <laughs> you take that course <laughs> absolutely absolutely sinuji uh, it's very very inspiring um sinuji um, you know when i think of menstruation as a subject uh, two very distinct set of thoughts come to mind you know on one hand i have seen uh some young people um, in in my past and uh, around me who believe uh, or or rather made to believe and conditioned to believe uh, that our culture views menstruation regressively and that it's all anti women etc uh, but on the other hand there is so much evidence that our culture actually celebrates menstruation be it in the form of different ceremonies uh, or several other traditions and i have uh, in my childhood attended uh, several such ceremonies myself uh, so can you tell us what is the hindu view or the indic view uh, on menstruation so this is a very broad question kamal ji but i will just try to uh, give you two classifications so my entire book ruthu vidya also is divided into two parts so the first part is the perspective from the indian science that is ayurveda Uh, because this is a subject that has huge implication on the physiology of a woman so if you want to know the hindu view of menstruation it's very difficult to get that right without a knowledge of ayurveda so that's the first part and the second part is how did we view it spiritually or in the hindu religion as such so why do we have temples like uh, kamakya where ma kamakya is believed to menstruate what is that all about so these are the true broad views that we have when we say the hindu view of menstruation and uh, i think that we need to ground our knowledge in these sciences to even begin to understand it otherwise we are just giving opinions and making assumptions really so from the perspective of ayurveda menstruation is that critical process which equips women with a natural nature driven detox mechanism so what is this detox for this detox is basically the removal of the internal body toxins and ayurveda calls those toxins as aam or aamras so aamras is the leftover when you consume food not all of it gets released or fully digested there are some portions of food which uh, simply sits and rots in your inter- intestine and especially so when you eat food that is not very compatible for you like non vegetarian food then there is a greater build up of arm 
So this arm rust is what is the fundamental cause for most problems and diseases, especially digestive disorders. If left unchecked and untreated, and if we don't do processes that will cleanse our physical system from time to time, like yoga and pranayama, then the excess buildup of arm can also lead to infertility. Okay, so we have the understanding of the saptadhatus, the seven tissue layers in Ayurveda. And uh, so the infertility happens when it starts to affect your deepest tissue layer, your seventh layer, which is your shukradhatu, that is your reproductive layer. So it can go to that extent. Now, for women to be able to conceive, it is necessary that her body from time to time goes through a natural process where excess arm is released. And that's what menstruation is. So it is an internal cleansing and detoxification process from the physiology perspective. And then, of course, there's this idea that you must always look at it with a positive attitude. Because even in modern science, we know that stress can badly affect menstrual cycles. So with so many women, just the thought that they're going to get their period puts their body into a stress mode. And then their period becomes difficult. So in our tradition, we started off by celebrating the very first period, right? And that also creates what we call an episodic memory, this memory of the first period. And what the thing about episodic memory is that it is stored in a part of your brain called the hippocampus. It is a small region of your brain. And its role is to throw up those memories Whenever something happens that is similar to what happened the first time that memory occurred. So you see, month after month, when a girl gets her period, her hippocampus throws the memory of that very first period and her body goes into a same response, whether it was of stress or of joy. So that's why the memory of the first period and the attitude with which you receive the first period is so important. And this was celebrated across India. We lost it in northern and central regions of India because of Islamic invasion and they didn't want to announce it. It was also closely tied to the marriage of the girl child. So even if she was married very young, she was not sent to her husband's home. She would go back to her father's home. And after menarche, they did the ceremony, the function. It was called Gona. And only after that was she sent to her husband's home. Uh, even today, many North Indian families have gone as part of the marriage rituals, completely unaware of what it is that they're doing. So <laughs> North Indian women are like, oh, no wonder. I used to wonder why I had to go to my father's house and then go again to my husband's house. That is a menarche ceremony. So it existed across India. And it was a very, very crucial part. So this is the perspective that Ayurveda brings in of celebrating of the necessity to celebrate menstruation and of how it is an inherent detox process that equips women with better health and better ability to uh, function uh, because of this natural detox. So this is just a gist of it. Um, there are more. It's a very vast subject and uh, those who are interested can read the book to know more. Absolutely, Sinuji. Uh, and it actually <clears throat> brings back um, memories of some of the ceremonies I attended, especially, I think, in the case of my sister. And I still remember uh, the the kind of positivity, uh, even the food, everything, yes. the whole uh, celebratory atmosphere that, that accompanied. And I think it, it kind of, I understand it now and the importance of it, um, uh, why this is so important. And I think uh, it, it's beautiful. That's something that we have to uh, cherish and uh, hopefully uh, continue and, and 
all parts of bharat should should experience this in fact kamal ji i think the reason you are able to have this normal conversation with me about menstruation is because you've had this experience See, you see, culturally, men and boys are very much part of these ceremonies. It was not a woman-centric ceremony, as you know, for your sister, right? Yes. So as she went through that, the boys were very naturally introduced to menstruation, and they in turn became very obviously sensitive to their mothers or sisters during that time. So when your mothers or your sisters would take rest during menstruation, you would naturally do the household chores and cooking and other things. and no one had to educate them or give them a menstrual education session so i i think that the reason you are able to have this conversation has to do with how culturally you were introduced to this in a beautiful way absolutely asiruji thank you for uh, very uh, beautifully summarizing it for us and sharing that uh, and i would urge uh, the viewers to uh, you know definitely uh, you know have a look at your book uh, for 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 reading up and and understanding this more closely um Uh, but seenu ji i want to also talk about uh, some of particular uh, menstrual practices in india uh, which have again often been misrepresented or misunderstood uh, and in particular the practice of menstruating women ask not to visit temples when they are menstruating uh, can you tell us why these practices exist and what happens for example if they do visit a temple at that time So Kamal ji, again, uh, I can tell you what happens, but the why of it requires uh, you to have gone through <laughs> a certain foundational knowledge of our uh, sciences. See, the thing is that uh, in the absence of the knowledge of Indian sciences, and what is so different about Indian sciences is that we, of course, know about the sthula sharira, which is the gross physical body, but in addition, we understood the sukshma sharira. which is your subtle anatomy and the interplay between the sukshma and the sthula which is what ayurveda is all about so the knowledge of the pancha mahabhutas which are the fundamental building blocks the knowledge of the tridoshas the vayus the vat pitt kapha all of these are part of your sukshma sharira and without that knowledge you can only see the effect which is what modern science also can see but you will never fully understand the cause because the cause happens at the sukshma level so this is the first thing that we need to know so what is the effect what happens you know uh while writing this book of course i spoke to a lot of women through my workshops and my own experiences in temples and that of other women is what framed this knowledge of how visiting a temple can act actually have a physiological impact on the human system and for women if they visited a temple at the time of menstruation it can badly affect their reproductive health if they are sensitive enough almost immediately they will sense extreme cramps in the abdomen they may have excessive bleeding soon after that or their periods may stop become irregular so i'll simply share the testimonies of few women who have told me about this and about whom i have written in the book so there are women who told me that their entire childhood they were raised in a way to think that temples are just about faith about bhakti and you know god treats everyone as the same so it doesn't matter what your menstrual condition is you can walk in so she said how she got her first period in the mariamman temple which is the devi temple in the village and uh, she continued going to the temple whether she had her period or not and at the age of 38 when she met me in a workshop she said how 
her entire life she's not had a single period that came on a predictable date or time she's had menstrual cramps but gynecologists dismissed it because they could never figure out the reason for it then there is a case of another woman who who went to a particular temple which was a moksha dham and upon reaching there just being in that vicinity her period started unexpectedly now she's made the trip and just uh, you know reached there and probably not going to come back in a long time so she said okay well and she went in and then she had such severe bleeding that for 3 months at a time she would bleed and there was no solution for it and the gynecologist eventually suggested and ended up having to uh, do a hysterectomy which is the removal of the uterus i've known women who have had the puja room in their bedroom so they've had some you know the shaligram the 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 stone that is consist, considered as the as a version of uh, bhagwan vishnu so the shaligram they had it in their bedroom and they you know in south indian uh, brahmin families that i've seen in villages if there is a shaligram in the house the women just stay outside the house during the entire period because that's how powerful that is and they go nowhere near the puja room but here were people who were not aware of that and simply kept it like just one of the things they've never had a single regular menstrual cycle so i could just go on and on because i've known so many stories of how temples and these things even the puja room in your home can badly affect you during your period if you don't follow the rules and follow the restrictions and this is why we have such severe strict practices as i said understanding the why of it requires us to have a much deeper knowledge in the science of the sukshma sharira and because you know i cannot even communicate that over a conversation like this because there's so much to be explained before we arrive at that so then think of how could our ancestors who knew how temple would affect women make sure that this knowledge reaches every single woman in the fastest quickest way possible how do you do it the best method the shortcut method was to induce fear was to put in the idea of you are impure and the deity will be offended if you go in there and uh, because you are looking at a much bigger solution of ensuring that women's menstrual health is not so badly ill ill uh, what do you say what is the word uh, irrevocably <laughs> altered so that was the bigger goal there we should not forget that as a country as a nation we've been through hundreds of years of invasions of being told that everything we do is wrong and foolish and in that background for me it is a bit of a wonder that how did even this much survive uh, we oversimplified a lot of things and just made them as rules and restrictions but never forget the goal was always to protect the health of the women because when we know our sukshma sharira based knowledge systems then we will understand how this happens and this is this is the this is the summary of it uh, kamal ji and uh, you don't need to take my word on it as a woman if you have had experiences like this associated with temples and uh, you will know what i'm talking about and i can say with quite a bit of certainty that even if it is just once that you break this rule and you go to a temple during your period it will definitely have an impact on your menstrual cycle uh, thank you uh, sinuji i think uh, that's very
important and very um, insightfully uh, you you communicated that um, and uh, sinuji i have uh, you've mentioned kamakya temple uh, in, in one of your previous answers and i have studied in assam at uh, iit guwahati for four years and i had the good fortune of uh, visiting uh, the kamakya temple and a few times and i was so fascinated by the practices at the temple uh, which celebrate menstruation uh, and i know you've visited uh, the temple too uh, so could you tell us about your experience how your experience was like as a woman uh, to visit the kamakya temple and uh, if you could also tell us about such other uh, other such temples in india where uh, there are practices specifically linked uh, to menstruation yes uh, such a wonderful question because i do have something incredibly wonderful to share and a lot of women uh, who live in and around the kamakya temple will know what i'm talking about so the specialty of this temple is that every year in the month of june for four days ma kamakya is said to menstruate and that is celebrated as a festival known as ambubachi and ambubachi festival when that happens the entire town shuts down all businesses all farming activities everyone is supposed to stay indoors because this is when devi is on her menstrual leave and all of us also go along with that so this is the outward story of it okay and um, i w- i first went to the kamakya temple in march 2015 and it was a nice temple and very different from the others because here there is no murti or there's no vigraha uh, what you are uh, what you find in the garbaguri is a a cave a stone which is shaped like the yoni you must have seen that right and unlike other temples you can go all the way down there uh, there's no restriction and there's no point beyond which people can't enter which is happens in a lot of other temples so i went there in 2015 and i was at nice and this shows how culturally we you know we celebrate menstruation and all that but but after that visit for 2 years i got my period in the month of june exactly on the same four days when ambubachi festival happened when ma kamakya's period happened so that prompted me to do my second visit as part of writing this book and i went again in 2019 and that time i went just after ambubachi because ambubachi though the festival is there and celebrated as you know the temple remains closed during that time because ma kamakya is menstruating you're not supposed to disturb her that's how they narrate the story right but the day when ambubachi is open the temple doors open and i was also there so after that visit of course again the third year and in 2020 which is the fourth year so for four years <laughs> my period in june coincided exactly with uh, ma kamakya's menstruation and often that comes with some shifts it's never like you know you are having a certain 28 day cycle in may and then that continues no it actually shifts it changes to accommodate this cycle so this was for me so fascinating as to how is it that simply visiting this temple is bringing you in sync with ma kamakya's menstruation what does that even mean right so that's when i began to study a little deeper about what we call as the earth's fertility cycle the earth's menstrual phase so within the human female body menstruation is the time when the agni and the vayu of the five panchamahabhutas agni and vayu are at a predominant state and that brings on menstruation similarly 
within Mother Earth's body, there are particular times in the summer season, what we call the Grishma Rutu, where there is a natural predominance of Vayu and Agni. And therefore, that time is very similar to the menstrual phase of a female body. That time is also the time of the summer solstice, which is when we make a shift from the Uttarayana phase of the sun to the Dakshinayana phase. So around June 21st, 22nd, we have the solstice and then on starts the four days of Makamakya's period. What this means is that the solstice, the summer solstice is the time where you have the longest days where the heat of the summer is at its peak because in nature there is a predominance of Agni and this resembles the Earth's menstrual cycle. When the seasons go through this shift and when we move from Uttarayana to Dakshinayana, all our bodies go through a natural internal thermoregulation. It happens to men also. But for women, it occurs in an obvious way by shifting our cycle slightly. So before this happens, you will see that your period was close to either Amavasya or Purnima. And after this happens, it will shift over to the other side. So if you are bleeding close to Amavasya, after the Ambubachi, your period will move over to Purnima. Right? So these shifts and influenced by the sun cycle and reflected in the moon cycle is what is represented in the Ambubachi festival. And that's not merely symbolic because like me, most of the women who live around the Kamakya temple and in that district of Kamru, it is said, will get their period at the same time. <laughs> so that's the whole secret and the beauty of it. And these temples existed to help us women bring our cycles back in sync with Mother Nature's cycle. For me, every of the years when it happened, it was an indication that I'm bleeding in sync with Mother Earth and my menstrual and reproductive health was just fine. And these are the indicators that we had in place for women to know this. So, so this, this is a, the beauty of the Kamakya temple. And we have a very similar phenomenon in Kerala in the Chengannur Bhagavati temple. So here it's not that baby menstruates every year in a fixed time, but there are certain times in a year where it is said that they can see a, a drop of menstrual blood on the garment that is used to dress baby. And that is the time when they have a big festival. And the funny part is most people who attend this festival are men. <laughs> and uh, the auspicious prasadam is the menstrual cloth into which uh, Devi has bled. Because that is it's said to con con contain such auspicious um, function that it will improve your overall life and health and wealth, wealth, wealth and well-being. So that's how it is. They no longer give the menstrual cloth. Earlier it used to be done and it was auctioned and it went into a few lakhs and then they stopped the practice of auctioning the menstrual cloth. But the way to understand it is this, that it is another indication that temples are not merely places of symbolism. They are not merely places of faith, which we think has nothing to do with science. Temples are places where the play of the interaction between the sukshma sharira and the sthula sharira can be experienced. Every temple where there has been the process of prana pratishtha, which is infusing prana into an object or a space, wherever that has happened, 
such a place will have an impact on your body for women you will know this through your menstrual cycles but if you visit it during your menstruation that same temple which was actually good for you at other times will badly affect your menstrual and reproductive health that's a bit very, yeah very very fascinating uh, sinu ji uh, i'm sure um, our viewers especially our women viewers have so much uh, to take away uh, from those insights um Sinu ji i want to now move to uh, sabrimala where women are asked uh, not to visit not only when they are menstruating but throughout their menstruating age now you have in the past uh, articulated that the entire debate that happened uh, about uh, women and sabrimala was framed very incorrectly and led by people who didn't really know what uh, you know they were talking about uh, what is the truth about sabrimala Uh, and you've written a book on this uh, so, so and if you could share that so that we can put this matter to rest once and for all yes um, and i'm glad you asked that kamaji yes i've written the book women in shabrimala where i've explained the whole science behind what will happen to women even if they're not menstruating but of that reproductive age and if they go to shabrimala what will happen to them so after i wrote the book i got an opportunity to run by its contents with the people associated with the uh, shabrimala so the tantri who is the chief priest who was there at the time when the case was filed i got to meet him personally i shared my views i got to meet several families associated with the whole tradition of manikantan i don't mean uh, just symbolically they've been there since the time of the legends you know their families have been there and i got to run by what i had written to them and they all agreed that what i have written is in fact the correct and the and the truth of it which in summary is simply this visiting shabrimala by women of reproductive age can badly alter their menstrual cycles this is not just about stopping your period it is about causing you problems associated with periods because a lot of women say fine i don't care about my period let it stop i want to go to this this temple so that's an utter ignorant statement because you think menstruation is a switch that you can turn on and off and it will affect no other part of your life menstruation and the phenomenon of menstrual cycles is at the absolute core of a woman's health if that is disturbed her mental health her emotional state of mind not to mention severe disorders like pcod and endometriosis painful conditions can occur so it is not such a simple thing of if i go there my period will stop it's not so simple it's going to affect your entire health and well being so everyone fought this in the name of women's right to worship but we completely missed the point which is that the temple and the tradition are protecting women's right to health and uh, women's right to health should have precedence over the other things that we are talking about because if a space can so badly alter a woman's health then that should be given serious consideration but this is such a difficult perspective because we are never taught our native sciences and out of the blue if you say something like this people will will just not uh, have they will not find it easy to accept so i'm going to try and give one version of the explanation one layer of it rather there's it's it's a very deep explanation i'll give you one layer and if those who are interested can read further 
You see, the Shabrimala temple is part of six temples which are called the Shat Chakra shrines, Shat Chakra temples of Shasta. And Shasta is the deity whose incarnation, one of his incarnations is Swami Ayappa. So Shabrimala was in place even before the Puranic character of Manikantan who became Ayappa. And it was the place of the, of the deity called Shasta. This information is written and this is the research done by Sri Arvind Subramanyamji. And it is from his work that I've understood about this concept of Shat Chakra temples. That is temples that correspond to six chakras. I will not go into too many details of the chakras. But there are six of the major chakras aligned around along your spinal column. And Shabrimala represents the sixth chakra, which is the higher of the chakras located between your eyebrows, called, called the Agnya Chakra. And when you straight away walk into Shabrimala without going through the other six temples, which correspond to your other six chakras, then you are causing an excessive activity in the Agnya region, in the region of the Agnya Chakra. Now, the thing about chakras is that they correspond to our body's endocrine glands. So the lower chakras of Muladhara, they correspond to our excretory organs and they facilitate those processes. The second chakra from below called the Swadhisthana chakra, it directly corresponds to our reproductive organs. So I will leave out the others in between for a purpose of this explanation. So we have Agnya, which corresponds to your pituitary gland. And then we have the Swadhisthana and the Muladhara, which correspond to your reproductive and eliminative processes. If you are only triggering the pituitary gland by going into places that have to do with the Agnya Chakra, it's a great thing for men because this will cause the release of testosterone by a complex series of processes. So you have the hypothalamus that will release something called GnRH, which will signal the pituitary that will release LH and FSH. And then LH will cause the creation of testosterone. Up to this point, it's the same for men and women. Now, we all know that testosterone is an important androgen, a male hormone. So it's very beneficial for men to go to these places because it helps them bring about a certain balance if there is any reduction or a, or, or a loss of it. It helps to increase that and balance it. So it helps male body in a beautiful way because when the agnya is triggered, pituitary is activated and that causes release of testosterone. What about when this happens for women? So in women's bodies, yes, we have testosterone, but that's in a minute, minute proportion compared to what we have in a male body. And it is, in fact, testosterone that your ovaries and adrenal glands will act upon to convert it into estrogen, which is the female hormone. So for women, for them to have a good reproductive health, the testosterone that is released in their body by their agnya triggering the pituitary has to necessarily be converted into a female hormone. Now, that conversion happens in your ovaries governed by your Swadhisthana Chakra. But if you create an excess energization of just the Agnya, and at the same rate, you don't energize the Swadhisthana, your ovaries are not able to keep up. So menstrual cycle is this communication between your pituitary and your ovaries. 
So the pituitary is very active, but your ovary is not able to convert it. It's not able to send a feedback to the pituitary saying, hey, stop, hormones are enough. Then eventually the ovaries become incapable of keeping up with this highly triggered Agnya Chakra and there will be excess testosterone in the bloodstream of women. So that is why the PCOD and the hyperandrogenism, that is excessive masculine features in women can happen when they are exposed to places like this. See, so far this has just been a theory. But just a week or so ago, I received an email for, from a woman who had told me that uh, as a young girl, before menarche, as a young girl, she had visited Ayappa, Swami Ayappa and Shabrimala three times at the age of around nine or ten. And later when her period came, it was always very disturbed, very painful, and she developed highly masculine qualities, excessive facial hair, masculine voice, a masculine physical structure. And this was a very shocking thing to me because so far the tradition says that it's okay, girls of a younger age can go. But she said that she had a very intense experience at Shabrimala and since then her whole physiology had changed. And I'm saying this with her permission. She told me that people need to know if this might help others. So there is so much more about this that we don't know because we don't even realize that there is a science to it. So we are not exploring, we're not doing the studies. But since the time I've released the book, I have received such emails from so many women who have told me how such places can affect them. It's not just Shabrimala, by the way. Any place which is a mokshadham will affect women's menstrual cycles in very, very unpleasant ways. So I spoke to women who'd been to Kailash and who are very much in the reproductive age because, you know, we don't think of these places as today it's just become like a tourist spot. Uh, I, in fact, got invited once to speak on this platform about temples for tourism. And I just blatantly refused. I said temples are not places of tourism and we need to stop projecting it as, as such. Uh, no matter how beautiful the temple, like the one <laughs> in my backdrop, which is the Madurai Meenakshi Temple, but they are not places of mere architectural marvel or tourism. They are places that affect your physiology. So when I spoke to women who'd been to Kailash, they all told me how their speed had shifted in very, very unpredictable ways after that. So one woman just finished her period, but reached Kailash and she got it again. So in less than a week's time, she got her second period. And it's not just physically that they affect you. They also affect you emotionally because this is the path of moksha. And it comes with the emotional feelings of vairagya. One woman who had been to Kailash, she described it beautifully. She said, when I returned, I found that I had completely lost interest in samsara. I didn't feel like being with family. I didn't feel like attending to those duties. So... This is how these places can affect women, both physically and emotionally. And you need to really proceed with caution and you need to know what you're doing. The concepts of mukti and moksha itself have been so not understood. And we always separate and say spirituality has nothing to do with science. Religion has nothing to do with science. And that is the beginning of us losing the plot. <laughs> uh, the Hindu religion... Hindu spiritual process is all about science. It is the knowledge of the sukshma sharira. 
and we need to start bringing that back in our education system so that these things don't even happen the case should never have happened because we should have all known we should have been aware how these places affect women's health and how the entire tradition is about protecting women's right to health that's what shabrimala is all about uh, thank you sinuji uh, for introducing us to the depth i would say of our ancient sciences and native traditions and it is so important that we realize um, uh, the importance and the depth of it and uh, all and like you uh, mentioned so many examples i think that will go a long way in uh, uh, making uh, more and more people aware about uh, such an important topic um, sinuji i want to come back to your other book which is uh, ruthu vidya which has been recently published now um, what are the topics that you have covered in that book Uh, so that our viewers get to know this straight from you, uh, and you could also tell us about uh, some of the other works that we could look up. Thank you, Kamalji. So, uh, Ruto Vidya is a book that is the it is it is my findings from about a decade long work on ground on menstruation. My team and I, the work that we did over the years across India, learning from women in the villages, and in fact, the book is dedicated to our rural grandmothers. because it is through their knowledge through their practices through their steadfast faith that we are even able to trace it back to sciences because they still it still is in existence thanks to our rural grandmothers so ruthu vidya will answer the most common questions that women and men have had pertaining to menstrual practices why are there specific diet restrictions about having curd uh, not having curd not having papaya not having anything sour why should we not touch the tulsi plant during menstruation why are women told not to cook during menstruation why is it that in specific occupations like silkworm rearing they don't encourage a, a menstruating woman to enter so why is that happen and how did we come about this notion of impurity uh, what is this thing of cleansing of detoxification that ayurveda talks about with respect to menstruation so it gives answers to all of these there are case studies there is one dead chapter dedicated entirely to sports women because this is another subject which is no one's talking about but women who are going out there fighting and winning medals for the country are putting their menstrual health and their cycles through a mess so many of them are suffering from painful periods from they're having to use contraceptive pills the side effects of which are much worse than the problems that they would have during a normal period and this is rarely spoken about so there's an entire chapter on how sports women can continue to perform well not by suppressing the cycle but by training and working in sync with the cycle so there's a chapter for sports women there is a chapter on the celestial influence on menstrual cycle so how the moon influences your cycle how the sun cycle influences it and there is a guest appearance of the planet mars which is actually the karaka the causator of menstruation according to jyotish shastra and not many people know this so there's a chapter about the celestial influence there's a chapter on the gifts of menstruation how the entire menstrual cycle gives women the opportunity to tune in to the inner dynamics and go through a process week after week where certain strengths certain qualities are enhanced and knowing that how you can 
in, improve your productivity, your work life, your emotional life, just by being aware of these changes in the menstrual cycle. So all of these is part of the first part one of the book, which is based in the knowledge of Ayurveda largely. The second part of the book is a deep dive into the religious aspects and the religious restrictions pertaining to menstruation. So the question of why should women not go to a temple during menstruation? What happens in a moksha dham like Shabrimala, where even if they're not menstruating, it is not meant for them as long as they're in the reproductive phase. There is a chapter which will talk about what is the spiritual path for women? If it is not the path of renunciation and the path like, you know, you have for the Ayapa devotees, then what is it for women? What is that path for women? I have an elaborate two chapters, one on the Chenganur Bhagwati Devi temple and the other on Makamakya temple explaining what that is about. And finally, there is a chapter on very similar practices and how you can understand it in Christianity and Islam and why there are no such practices in Sikhism. So this is the summary of what the book Rutu Vidya is all about. Thank you so much, Senuji, for putting that uh, book together and gifting it to us. And I mean, it is truly, um, I think, an insightful experience for anyone who uh, reads this. And I would strongly recommend all our viewers to uh, uh, grab a copy and, uh, you know, enlighten yourselves, uh, especially our women viewers and even the male viewers uh, who are interested. And I think if you ever want to sort of gift a book, uh, uh, something that is useful to the women, your friends and family, I think uh, you need not look any further than this. Um, and I also think for the women, if you need a man to understand you better, then this is the book for him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think the gift can happen in good ways. <laughs> so, uh, Sinuji, uh, you know, I, I would love to end with a message from you uh, to the girls, the young girls and ladies, uh, as well as uh, boys and men uh, who are watching this. Uh, you know, I have seen so many people uh, in universities and in offices who are being actively, I would say, misled about our culture uh, with respect to menstruation, but also otherwise, by a certain vested interest in the media and other popular platforms. What would you like to tell to such young people about Bharatiya culture, about uh, menstrual health and other related topics that you feel are important for them to understand? How should they also approach this? I'll keep it very simple and I will share with you something that I have learned from the philosophy and the principles of Tantra. So Tantra always tells you that if you decide to renounce something, to dismiss it, do it only after a thorough searching inquiry about it so that you're really sure that what you're dismissing is not to be kept and it is to be dismissed. So put that effort and it's similarly, if you are going to accept something, make sure that you have spent enough time on studying that as well. So this, what we are currently doing of deciding, of playing judge and jury, of saying this is right and that is wrong, without any sort of investigation into the matter, is what is causing all this trouble. So whether you decide to follow something or dismiss it, Please make the effort to first dig into it deeply, even to criticize everything that I have said in this course. You need to know the subjects which I study to arrive at what I said. 
Similarly, to dismiss the culture of this land, you need to study the source from which this culture and its practices evolved. So make that effort. And if you haven't made that effort, you can only at best say, I do not know. Absolutely, Sinoji. Uh, and I think that also encapsulates uh, the spirit of our civilization, which has for millennia. Uh, this is what uh, our culture has imbibed in us. Uh, the spirit of inquiry, the, the spirit of seeking. Uh, I think it's so important that uh, young people uh, today, uh, you know, live up to that spirit. And uh, you have inspired us to do that today. Uh, thank you so much, Sinuji. It has been a very inspiring and an extremely enriching um, conversation with you. And of course, this is only uh, the tip of the iceberg. There is so much more to uh, understand, so many insights that uh, we uh, have to understand. And I'm uh, grateful for your uh, efforts uh, in the form of your books and also uh, the other upcoming initiatives uh, that you are involved in. Uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, today at the Festival of Bharat, uh, Sinuji. Thank you so much, Kamalji. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been a joy coming back and having this conversation with you, Kamalji. And I really appreciate uh, the way in which you were able to engage with me in this conversation. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, uh, Sinuji. Uh, and to our viewers, I would like to request you, uh, please do subscribe uh, to both our channels, Chitty Media and the Festival of Bharat. Uh, and do share our videos so, so that more and more people can benefit from it. Uh, and we will be back with another such uh, fascinating and inspiring conversation. Until then, take care and namaste. Namaste. We hope you enjoyed this Chitti Media content. Please remember to subscribe to us and switch on the notifications for this channel. For our other social media links, more content and to support our work, please visit citti.net. Dhanavad. Namaskar.